0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica, the smoke funneling out of the back of the car, Stanfield drives by. On this episode, it's an early season deep dive with Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedregon. We're talking Vegas as well. And it's Tripp Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. The good, the bad, and the ugly so far in 2023 in the Camping World Drag Racing Series. Bobby Bodie's 74 and he blows the body off the car, going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Vance and Heinz bikes are out, and it is crazy town in Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Loans back with another episode of the NHRA Insider. Today I'll be joined by Tony Pedregon and Kevin McKenna. We will talk about the early season ups and downs of this NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series year. We'll talk about the big uh, the big storylines. We'll talk about the teams that really need to stand on it. And we'll certainly talk about the teams that have been standing on it and if they can withstand and sustain the early season success they have had. Been a bit of a week off for the NHRA World uh, not for everybody, of course. We're going to talk about J.R. Todd's incredible team, what they've been able to accomplish in a very short amount of time after a catastrophic weekend of drag racing in Pomona, how they have rebounded, what we expect to see from them in Las Vegas. And we are kind of uh, been able to take a little bit of a breath, was able to spend some time with the family away from the world of drag racing for a few days, and now we're certainly back at it full bore and under full throttle conditions. Vegas this weekend sets itself up to be pretty amazing. Weather is going to be very typical of this time of the year, should be highs in the low 80s, should make for some very fast racing on one of the best prepared One of the best managed and certainly one of the smoothest surfaces in the entire sport of drag racing worldwide. It is an elevation racetrack, as we so often talk about, but it's a very fast elevation racetrack. You heard Mike Green on last week's show talk about how fast Las Vegas is, despite some of the environmental factors that may, uh, in some cases, play against it teams can overcome those in certain different ways. Uh, The pro stock teams are more, let's say at the mercy of the environment than they are the nitro teams. But we know that everybody can compensate whether it's the driver stepping up or certainly whether it's the crew chief stepping up with more horsepower. I think when we get into this conversation with Kevin and Tony, Really talking about some of the big storylines coming out of Las Vegas, um, such as you know the weekend that John Force had, what that means going ahead, what we should expect out of that car in Las Vegas. Talking about the weekend and the early season that Justin Ashley has had, the back-to-back victories, the incredible performances on the starting line. Uh, we don't expect those to abate anytime soon. We can talk about some of the teams that are planning on coming out and need to come out swinging, whether it's Pro Stock, Funny Car, and Top Fuel. So all those storylines are on the table for this show. And I think we're going to dive into some other side tracks as we typically do. We uh, we do our best to stay on the straight and narrow here to a degree, but we always like to deviate and cover some of the different topics, some of the different things that are going on, maybe behind the scenes in the world of drag racing that haven't quite bubbled up to the surface yet. I will say this. uh, We come into this weekend with an incredible degree of anticipation on the crowd side, on the excitement side. Um, I think there is a great positive energy around the series so far, and it's going to be great to see not just the Camping World Series, but there is another 19 or 21 top alcohol dragsters uh, on the qualifying entry sheet. There's, uh, I think, 13 or 14 alcohol funny cars, which again is a positive number if we look back over what the recent kind of car counts in that category have been. Um, Some big news coming in the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series. This will be the final race for Dwayne Shields. He will be calling it a career as a driver after his home race in Las Vegas. He has a lot of friends and family coming, as one would expect, and he wants to put on the best show possible. He is going to maintain his role as a crew chief and as a car owner. Madison Payne will be taking that muscle milk dragster over a Effectively, as uh, my understanding is a, a full time ride, so to speak, I'm sure she will continue to compete in Supercop, but she will be uh, very much concentrated on the muscle mill car as she has been over the last couple of seasons as Dwayne has kind of slowly stepped away from the seat. He is a world champion and he is a guy that has amassed a huge number of national event, divisional and regional level wins as well over a fantastic career in the sport so we um, will be bittersweet to watch Dwayne shields competing this weekend knowing that it's the last time we'll see him as a driver but his presence will certainly continue to be felt as a racer a notable passing this week in the world of drag racing was that of bill mullins and bill mullins a name that hardcore fans certainly know a man who won in top gas dragster uh, he won in top fuel and was a thorn in the side of these major teams you know he's a guy who was one of the great innovators of the high gear only combination and he raced as one of those guys that was very quiet but he always swung a very big stick yes he won one race 1985 in top fuel in columbus but that he is one of those guys where the number of races certainly do not define the career statistics of bill mullins his effect is felt to this day really the work that he did early on and and placing so much emphasis on a high gear only combination on the work that he did as far as the clutch side of things and managing the power uh, really helped to set up the era that we live in now. So we send our condolences to the Mullins family and certainly a guy who um, is very widely heralded amongst fans who have a, a great respect for the history of the sport for the guys and, and the men and women fans of our NHRA world that have a great respect for innovators but for Bill Mullins um a career that certainly places him, in my opinion, among the greats in the NHRA drag racing universe. So with that being said, I think it's time for us to get to our guests, Tony Pedregon and Kevin McKenna. When we come back, we'll open that conversation up. And as we always do, it'll probably be with both barrels. Stay with us. All right, everybody, welcome back to the NHRA Insider. And as has become tradition on race weeks, I have welcomed back Tony Pedregon and Kevin McKenna. Fellas, how are you guys doing?
1: Good. Good morning. Yeah, r- real well. It's it's race week, and that's always a good thing.
0: You know, it's been good. I don't know. I we I was able to take a little bit of a, a breath away from the racing world with my family. Do you guys do anything? Do I kick back and relax over the Easter weekend, Tony? Uh,
2: just stayed close to home. Went to Golden Gloves. Took uh, my fourteen year old. He's uh, he's obsessed with boxing, which is a good thing. And uh, hey, they say uh, he has risen. The sun has risen. Things have thawed out here in Indy, so uh, no complaints.
0: Kevin, did you have any Cuffs on your weekend?
1: <laughs> uh, no no I know, but much like Tony, uh, enjoying the spring weather here and uh getting ready to go uh actually race my car this weekend and then get ready for the four wide in Charlotte.
0: Yeah. So we come up on this section now of two, uh, our two four wide races back to back. And, you know, I want to start with pro stock here. when we come into Vegas, I think when, when you look at the pro stock points and you look at kind of how this thing is shaken out and Kevin, I want to go to you first here. It almost feels like we're in the countdown already. I mean, we talk about it, the pro stock regular season, this is basically going to be the, you know, the one third of the way through this, the regular season for these, these cars, the point spread between one to three is five points between one to nine is only 74 points. So it does have that shake up kind of countdown feeling week to week.
1: Yeah, you're right. And the, the math here just doesn't add up because you've got 15 or 16 cars. Yeah. That are pretty much committed to running the whole tour. Well, you can only have 10 in the top 10. So five guys aren't making it. And that's, Affords you little time or, or little chance to, to make an error. So some of the guys that are that are lagging towards the back, um, I wouldn't say it's crisis time yet, but it it would be uh, you know, it would be good for them to uh, start winning some rounds here soon. And you know, what what better time than do it at uh, the two four wide races coming up?
0: Well, yeah, and, and the reality is, I, I agree with you on the the kind of crisis time. Uh, but if you're a defending champion, let's say, and you're you know you're 107 points out of first place, a place that you basically lived in for the entire season last year, it's got to kind of feel like that a little bit, right? You, you would think. I mean, in, in, Eric's, in Erica's in case, I don't really worry. Yeah.
1: Uh, we know how good that team is. We know how good she is. Uh, you know, you look at the Gainesville thing. Uh, it was obviously a mechanical issue, which could happen to anyone. Yeah. But if that doesn't happen she probably wins a few rounds and she's right up there third, fourth, fifth. And we're not even having this discussion. Um, you know, that being said, it does appear like the, the KB Titan cars have stepped up their game a little bit. Uh, they're at least, I think level with the best elite cars, which, you know, makes it's great for the fans. It's great for competition. Um, You know, and again, it goes back to the point of where there's not a lot of wiggle room to to make an error. Now, you pretty much need to split the atom at every race.
0: You really do. And, you know, Tony, we look at Camry Caruso, where she's at right now, which is just uh, just a a shade out of first place. And, you know, to me, that number one qualifier she put up after winning the race kind of um, kind of shows me that that's the real deal that's going on over there.
2: Well, in just a few races, they've proved that Um, I still say the test lies ahead. I mean, she's been very impressive. It is like a different driver, a different person in that car, much improved. Uh, I mentioned this on the show, whatever she did in the off season it worked. it just goes to show you that drivers need to do their homework and when they do it shows whatever Camry took on whatever, uh, she did to, you know, to sharpen up her, uh, herself mentally on the starting line. Um, and, and, you know, to get the carp to perform, yeah. I mean, she has she has to be on her mark. She has to hit those shift points, the technique, the mechanics, there's a lot of detail that goes into getting these pro stock cars to, to run. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like that line in the movie, the professional, I think it was Gary Oldman. He said, I told you, um, when she took on <laughs> Dallas Glenn, you know, he got peed on a hole shot. That wasn't going to happen again. He had a double O two. O2 but that just goes to show you the kind of talent that she is going to run into. It's not just Dallas. It's going to be Hartford. It's going to be the Quadra brothers, the Quadra family, Erica. I agree with Kevin, you know, she's, she's going to be there in some shape or fashion or form. And, um, you can go down the list. Uh, but the, they're, the high caliber drivers like Dallas and Matt Hartford, um, and, and Troy jr. They're, they're just going to keep popping up. So that, That to me is really going to tell us how good the team is, how good uh, she is, if she can go the distance, if she can hold up to the pressure. Uh, But at this point, she's been
0: impressive. You know, and again to Tony, along that idea of going the distance, and and I want Kevin to follow up on your answer here, but you know, in, in the Nitro cars, we talk about a team being really good, maybe early or mid season when they have this clutch package they like, and then they maybe run out of discs or the clutch package goes away for them. But in Pro Stock, is it more, in your opinion, is it more driver-based? This, this year-long performance we talk about in this class, is it more driver-based than mechanical in that we don't necessarily see a Pro Stock team lose their tune-up at some point. We do sometimes see a driver maybe lose their starting line edge, but I'm not sure we see that mechanical change as much as we do in the fuel category. So what's your take on that? Uh, you
1: know, it, um, I think that's true only to a point. Um, There's probably a lot of things we don't see. You know, if, for example, a pro stock team hurts their best engine and at the next rate they're down five or 10 horsepower, uh, you may wonder is that just tune up? Did the driver make a bad run? But the reality is they're playing catch up. Um, I think those things happen from time to time. That information just isn't generally made public. Um, But then you look at, you know, if you're playing the numbers game, you look at pro stock and almost every field we have separated by a tenth or less and you know you can generally pick up three or four of that sometimes on a whole shot that's why you have you know guys that qualify 12th and 13th going to final rounds and um you know it's great for the parity i mean you you look at what we've had already we've had three different winners you know camry jr in dallas it's hard to imagine you'll go the rest of the year and erica greg stanfield Uh, Hartford, you know, I mean, they're all going to win at some point. Um, We could easily be looking at nine or ten different winners by the time this thing's done.
0: Tony, what's your take on that kind of mechanical versus personal long haul of a season?
2: Well, when you see a pro stock car fall off, um, whether it's engine power or maybe making the adjustments from one race to the next, uh, dealing with humidity, It's I I just see it mostly in the nature of the machine in relation to the amount of horsepower that it makes. So, you know, unlike, uh, you know, a nitro car, you know, they're going to make this ungodly amount of power and applying it is is the key to success. You can have a a combination that revs up to 8000 RPM and make it work. It can be very competitive, it can win races. You can be one of the cars that make big power, what, what tuners would call big power, what anyone would call big power, with a car that revs up to 85, 86 or better engine RPM at the step of the throttle, a wide open throttle. Um, that combination, and, and again, power seems to win out, and that's the case in pro stock, but we're, we're dealing with you know 1,400 horsepower versus you know over 11,000 horsepower. So when a car falls off, they're losing two to three hundreds of a second that could be made up by a driver. So that's just the nature of the class. And that's why, you know, we all put so much stress on the ability for a driver to get off the starting line, because a lot of times if you see a driver with a a double O something in the teens, in the twenties, you can likely get to the final and win a race. But when you see a driver in the thirties and forties, forget about the fifties and sixties. When you're in the fifties and sixties, the message is, "I want to go home. I want to go home early." So that's you know that's what it comes down to. And what we don't see, like Kevin said, what we don't see is is the the ability of the drivers. But you know, after so many runs, these drivers become so in sync with the car that. You know, they're pretty good and, and occasionally, once in a blue moon, it once in a great while, we'll hear a car get on the rev limiter early. Yeah. Um, you know, if, they, if they're going to short shift, it's usually because they feel a vibration or tire slippage or they feel they need to, but, you know, those little things affect the performance of the car. But when we see it fall off, we're only seeing it lose two, three, maybe four hundredths of a second at worst.
0: You know, Kevin, I think if there's a if there's a surprise so far this season, it is obviously Fernando Quadra Sr., uh, the inability there to get that car to qualify. And, you know, it's it's basically done the same thing the last couple of races, which is just to shake the tires very violently early in these runs. And as you mentioned, there's already too many, uh, you know, too many cooks for our kitchen in terms of even being able to have a qualified field every week with full-time cars. So. You know, Alan Przinski has been able to sneak his way in, and I and I say that with respect because he's hung in there and got into these fields. But like when Quadra's car picks up finally and makes these full runs, that becomes an even dip, more difficult task for for Pruszynski, and let alone Shane Tucker, whose car has incrementally gotten better, but still to me has not showed the prowess it needs to to make these fields. Even on his best runs, he's still a couple hundredths off sixteenth place.
1: Brian, you're absolutely correct, but my surprise concerning Fernando Quadra is how in the world he could not have understood the rule in Phoenix regarding courtesy staging. Uh, You know, I I don't want to dig up an old gripe here, but when (laughs) Avery raced Christian, how how in the world did that family not understand that you don't need to courtesy stage in pro stock? They're not new to this. Um, That, to me, is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in pro stock where they didn't understand the rules and got timed out because of it. Um, you know, those are the mistakes you just cannot make. Uh, just it's baffling to me.
0: Yeah, and look, I I'm with you. And the only thing I'd say to that is, uh, you know, from being on the announcing side of this game for a long time, it is the equivalent to me of a guy who was bracket race for 20 years, walking up to a timing tower and handing me a slip, going, "My time slips wrong. I didn't lose this race." And then you look at it, and you kind of look back at the guy and wonder if he's joking. And then you break the numbers down for him, and the guy understands how he lost. But it is there is a definite thing in drag racing that there are certain elements of this that escape even the most seasoned of people, and it boggles my mind as well. And and look, I you know Fernando since has come out and said I you know he was wrong, and that uh, you know he was obviously he was very angry in the moment, but um, but clearly at that time you were right. He thought that they had that they had broken the rules, and that they had done something illegal. Um, and one, I guess, it's a consequence of never having it had, you know, ex- watching it happen to either you or your team. But two, it's a consequence, I guess, of just not ever contemplating doing it in the first place, right?
1: I guess. I mean, to me, if you want to succeed in pro stock, you need to use every tool in the toolbox. Oh yeah. And I, and, I, and I realize Camry didn't do that on purpose, but if occasionally going up and double bulbing your opponent or handing them out for a few seconds is what you need to do to succeed th- th- then you do it you know th- th- this is pro stock and from day one 50 years ago you know the motto has been all's fair in love war and pro stock right you can pretty much do anything you want within the rules um and there are people out there who will uh, you know i mean i think the quadras can just be grateful that that ricky smith runs pro mod now instead of pro stock
0: <laughs> well yeah <laughs> but you know but you, but you know who doesn't and, and me and Tony talk about this all the time, is Matt Hartford. And and we saw, to me, Tony, we saw Matt Hartford at Matt Hartford's... We saw peak Hartford, if you will, um, at the last race. Uh, that is when Matt is at his best. When he comes up there, obviously wins too fast, too tasty on on Saturday. That's a great moment for him. But then on Sunday, he came up there with that starting line swagger that that um, very few people in the class continue to have.
2: You know what? I, I've never understood. I didn't then. I still don't. I just I don't understand why... More people don't do it. Yeah. I, I just, I don't get it. I, I think sure. that there is a. I've always said this. There's a technique, you know, when when somebody deep stages or when someone waits and and or 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 goes in there uh, or lights both lights. There's a technique to all that. And when, when a driver stay deep stages, when when a driver utilizes some of that real estate on the starting line, I, I just I've never understood why. Anyone well, of course, I know why, because they get their you know what beat and handed to them <laughs> at the finish line, and they just never let it go you know yeah. i I noticed that ron Ron caps made a comment uh when he was you know course tasker, I didn't realize it at the time, but he knocked the top light out, yeah, and I and missed course, that
0: too, I missed that too, yeah. yeah
2: yeah, so so i mean he he touched Ron up on the starting line his car just broke a rod. So he didn't finish the race, but I just, for the life of me, I can't understand why a driver, I guess, I guess I do. The driver has a problem with that because it works. And a lot of guys that try it, they forget to leave. So there is there is some technique that, that it requires some talent to do it. And I, I just, you know, the, the 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 opponents that get upset because it happens to them, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I've had this conversation with Tony Stewart. I've had this conversation with, with, uh, with hardcore fans. And I've ex- I break it down like this. I try to simplify it. If I'm in a foot race, and I'm just as quick as the guy next to me, and there's a starting line and there's a finish line, and if I can start the race with my heel, that gives me, that gives me about a, a let's, let's call it a seven-inch rollout. That gives me a seven inch head start because I'm starting yep. with my heel and whoever I'm racing who's just as quick as me, they have to start with the tip of their foot. So if we're if we're if we have the identical performance, guess who is going to win? Me. Right? <laughs> and that's what staging is. And I just for the life of me cannot figure out why the complaining and the complain and the still and Ron Caps brought it up and I wish he would have I wish he would have said the same thing on our show that he did. I I don't know whose podcast it was, but I did hear that he got sick of hearing Robert Height complain about the points. It's like, Robert, you have won championships with that same point system. So why can't just get up, dust yourself off and move forward? I just don't understand the complaining. Ron Caps knocked down the championship. He won it by a couple of points. Um, you know, maybe they shouldn't have smoked the tires or, or however they got beat, but I guarantee you, we can all look back at those records and say, well, this is where you lost it. And this is where you lost it. And we can go down every race. But yeah. the fact that it came down to a few points in a point system or deep staging or knocking the top light out or double ball, none, all of that is just, is trivial. And I just don't, I don't understand the sensitivity of a lot of drivers I'm done with
0: that well Kevin one last point before we move on to to funny car in the the deep staging element of things you saw it for years Shirley Maldani was a master at it and she did it a lot and and I mean used it to her advantage as a as a tool back in the day and i you know you go back and watch all those shows you don't necessarily hear anybody bring it up in terms of the other drivers but she and, and she used employed the same logic Tony just talked about shortening up the racetrack itself but Shirley was a master at deep staging Sure, and and
1: and you think back then they probably weren't uh, as sensitive to lane choice. You probably didn't yeah. have crew chiefs in your ear saying, "Don't do it, don't do it. It's going to cost us in the next round." But but, but honestly, uh, you know, as Tony just pointed out, why you you don't why drivers don't do more to either gain an advantage or throw their opponent off? You you have especially in pro stock where you have teams that will spend untold amounts of money to try to pick up five horsepower.
0: Yeah,
1: of, why don't you try to do the same thing as a driver? If you can gain a hundredth or two off the starting line, um, it accomplishes the same thing. And you know, if, if I'm a guy and you know, first round I have to run the number one or two qualifier. I don't have lane choice. I'm down by three or four hundredths. Are you just going to surrender, or are you going to go in there and, and try something? Yeah, you got nothing to lose at that point. Uh, again, I, I it, it's kind of baffling why. Poor drivers don't do it. Why, when they test, they don't try things like that. You know, I know one guy who did, you know, when Tanner Gray was getting his license. Yep. They put him through every situation imaginable. You know, they took a golf cart in the other lane, double balled him, slow staged him, quick staged him, um, rolled through the beams. Just anything you could do to distract him, just to kind of show him the awareness of be prepared for anything. Right. Because, you know, you can counter that sort of thing if you have it in your mind. Hey, this guy's going to play some sort of a game. Don't fall for it because really if you stay locked in on your side of the tree, you should be just fine no matter what the other guy does. Um, I just think some races lose sight of that from time to
0: time. Yeah, listen, uh, we've said it a lot. Tony said it a lot. Both sides have to both sides have to agree to tango to tango, right? If if one side doesn't agree to play with the the rules that the other side's given, then then that whole program goes out the window. But you know, as we're talking about staging, and and I want to move into the nitro funny car category. And Tony, I want you to talk about this. You know, to me, Chad Green's been one of the great uh, early surprises of this season. He's currently six in the points. And this is a guy who stages maybe differently on a consistent basis than nearly anybody in the class. And it seems to be working to his advantage so far.
2: It is right now. It's early. Um, he seems to be rolling in uh, pre-staging and staging first. He wants to get set. I, I used to prefer that myself, but when drivers catch on all of a sudden you go to pre-stage and you're looking over at Ron and all of a sudden he's got both lights <laughs> on. So that, that, you know, again, We'll see where he's at in the long haul, but Chad green has has been doing very well. his cars consistent. yeah, but you know I think I think some of these other teams when they get up and going, it may change. at some point they've got to step they've got to step up the pace a little bit. That may be where they run into trouble. Of course, we know when these cars lose traction it's because you know you start to apply the clutch sooner, a little more aggressively. That's how you get the car to run from a to go from a three ninety five to a three ninety or three eighty nine. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's gonna be the ch- the test for Chad Green. But you know some of the teams I've I've mentioned this on, on the air, they've looked at Chad Green, where he's at. He seems to be in the too fast, too tasty races. He's he's there, they're not. And they need only look at the consistency of that car. So they've reminded themselves, hey, we gotta get down the we gotta get down the track. We gotta try to quit running these three eighty fours, three eighty fives. And, um, you know, that will come, but I think, um, I think two things are happening. I mean, they're, they've improved, uh, Chad's doing a good job on the starting line. They're going to put him through the test. And when I say they, it's going to be the good drivers, the the sharp shooters, the ones that make a difference, the ones that can take an average car and win races. You know, there are some drivers that are in a good car, uh, not so good driver. They're going to be somewhere in the middle. The good car with the good driver, and there there is a group of those that that is going to be the test for Chad and for everyone else.
0: You know, Kevin, uh, as we talk about the kind of interesting, if not surprising, uh, early season results. Obviously, Alexis at number three right now has been a really fun thing to watch, consistently in the Mission Too Fast Too Tasty challenges. Now it's she's kind of become a staple in those things since we've been having them, um, and she drove a very good race for herself at Pomona as well. Some of her best, uh, some of her best starting line action of the entire season so far.
1: Yeah, and, and you tend to think that success breeds success. Yeah, it, When you start the season and you, you have a couple of really good races, you're driving well, your car's performing, that, that does wonders for your confidence. And and I think you've seen that uh, probably with her as much as anyone where you have the mindset of, yeah, I, I can compete with any other car in the class. And, you know, we, we've had this whole big thing in Funny Car. Is it the big two? Is it the big three? Is yeah. it the big four? You know, um, you know, Ron Caps will remind you if, if you, you know, don't include him in that. <laughs> right. um, I, I mean, honestly, I think at this point in the season, it's it's closer to the big seven, the big eight, because, you know, you, you cannot, you know, Alexis certainly belongs in there. You know, Bob Taska is in the middle of, of sorting his, you know, his results have been a little inconsistent, but we know how good that car is. Uh, I think before it's all said and done, we're going to see the same Cruz Pedregon we saw last year at the end of the season in Pomona. Um, You know, that that car will certainly not struggle all year. Uh, And there's no reason why Tim Wilkerson can't do what Chad Green has done. Um, And then more so, and then you look like a guy, you know, I I can't say that the Terry Haddock going to the semis was even a fluke because if you have a car that consistently goes out there and goes 4-0s, you are going to capitalize on a mistake from time to time, probably more frequently than you'd think.
0: Yeah, and listen, the racetrack's going to be warm this weekend, Tony, and, you know, temperature's uh, kind of peaking in the 80s, so we should probably be looking at a racetrack of, what, 110, 115-plus degrees at elevation there in Vegas, and I'm not hating that for Terry Haddock, like Kevin just mentioned. I'm not hating that at all. Well, I'll take that bet, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a fast track. It's smooth.
2: Um, you know, the Wolves are going to be out. Uh, you know, hey, 4-0s, while it was impressive for Terry Haddock, uh, and it was enough to get him to the semifinals. Um, you know, you're only gonna capitalize so many times on, on the good cars that, that should that should win. Um you know, but hey, uh, we gave him credit. You have to give yeah. him credit. He was there and some of the the what we would consider the, the more capable teams, they beat themselves. And um, you know, and a lot of times if they're gonna hand it to you, uh take it. Uh, but they've made a lot of progress in, you know, hiring Johnny West to sort through his program and just make sure the car is assembled properly. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this left and right and yeah. I've worked with John, I have the privilege of working with Johnny West and, and he doesn't just go in there. Everybody wants to tune, you know, like a video game. They want to tune the car, but, they don't understand the mechanics and make sure that the systems, the fuel system, clutch management, and just everything is working properly. You're never going to be able to tune anything. So that's always one of the first things that Johnny West does, and he gets the crew, the personnel in sync. Um, you know, and and uh, does wonders.
0: Uh, we have to talk about John Force's weekend in Pomona, and, and conversely, we'll also talk about J.R. Todd's and recovery from that. But um, this was, you know, let's just call it what it is. This was not a good look. You know what I mean, Tony? I mean, if we're looking at a if we're looking at a rough weekend, this was about as rough as it's been for John since that 2018 season when the car was just seemingly, you know, on a on a self destruction mission that early that season.
2: Well, I'm going to hurt for anyone that's listening and that doesn't want to hear the truth. Uh, you might want to switch over to something else because if you want me to be honest, which is that that is what my job is is to to provide some insight. It is flagrant. It's yeah. egregious. It has raised a lot of concern with a lot of drivers, and you. While you may not have to respect my opinion, you will have to respect the opinion of every funny car driver out there. And there is some concern that when they raise John Force, they don't feel that that they're that, that they're as safe as they would like to be. Um, you know, and, and John, it's you know to best explain it, it's he either doesn't know what he's doing or he doesn't know where he's at. And we will all agree. He knows what he's doing. Absolutely. He just doesn't know where he's at. And you know, there's, there's two ways to fix it. There's two ways and only two ways. And, and, and maybe three ways, but I've never been one to to say, Hey, it's time for John to to hang it up. I've never said that, nor will I, that is up to one person, maybe, Maybe two, the sponsors, but it's really, it comes down to John. He can drive however long damn well he pleases to drive. Okay. If he can pass the physical, um, I, I think, and most, most of us have that level of respect for him, but the two ways to fix it is you either have to have a tuner that pulls the power back, that slips the clutch. So it doesn't spin the tires. Okay. Cause the car spins the tires. And the other way to fix that, and it's a pretty easy fix, get off the throttle. Okay. Yeah. John's not doing that to and, and I'll quote to make the show it's not worth it these cars today are different than they were 10 15 years ago you cannot stay on the throttle because when they go they go real quick yeah. and if you drive a funny car you're going to hit the center line you might hit a block every now and again but when you, you do it consistently and 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 one round after the other and, and the, I think the the most egregious part of it is when you drive into your opponent's lane. Yeah. And, and Under not power. just next to him. Not next to him. You drive around him. And, you know, of course. I'm not gonna call out John's interview, even though there was a lot of things that he assessed that were not accurate. I will say okay. this. When when you get out of a car, you, you they don't get the TV doesn't give you a lot of time to process what happened. Right. John was talking about hitting a wall, doing this and that. There was, was no wall involved. That was J.R. Todd. And I I wouldn't be surprised if NHRA comes up with another set of rules to try to because there's no deterrent. Here's the problem that I have with it. Most drivers, including John, you don't see them bouncing off the wall and I've said this I've said this to you, Brian, you know why they don't bounce off the wall because that hurts.
0: yeah, that
2: hurts that wrecks cars, it it bends chassis, it, it it'll give you a concussion, but yet we see them cross the center line because there's no deterrent. there's nothing, there's not that fear. there's a slap on the wrist, five points, it's nothing. There's not enough of a penalty. To, to, to be in a driver's you know subconscious to say I don't want to do that yet we see it over and over and over. So I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if NHRA comes up with another set of rules to provide some barrier. They're not going to put a barrier there, right. but they have to put some deterrent, something mental in the driver's the repeat offenders um, that that continue to do it. And like I said, if you drive a funny car, you're probably going to hit the center line every now and again. But Alex Laughlin he doesn't have a lot of experience in a funny car. His car put a cylinder out. His car was going towards the center line, but you know how he fixed it. We all saw it. He got off the throttle. Yeah. You want to hear the deterrent for him? It's not a wall. It's Jim Dunn in the pit. <laughs> right. That's what he's yeah. got to deal with. So, yeah. and I'm not, you know, like I think that is that is true. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that uh, I. I you know, I, I just—it was a, it was an ugly thing. And I—I I do give J.R. Todd credit, and for for anyone that is going to criticize a driver that is not happy when he gets out of the car, I say shame on you. Yep. That tells me that that person that is going to knock J.R. Todd for for having the attitude and 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 uh, and carrying himself the way that he did, there's disappointment. I mean, this guy it was in harm's way. He yeah. did nothing wrong other than pull his parachutes when a good driver is supposed to. And that's how Forrest went in to collect them. But, I mean, for crying out loud, the guy just got wrecked. His car's wrecked. And for someone to knock that means tells me that that person, whoever's criticizing a driver for not being happy um, and, and, and not hugging, you know, like some kiss ass. That tells me that that person that's going to be critical of that has never competed at a high level, let alone been in a race car where they risk their lives. So, hey, I give it to JR. I like the guy more and more. And for anyone that doesn't, well, they probably have to compete against him. Those are probably the ones that really don't care for JR Todd. Or if he's beating the tar off of their favorite driver, well, if that's that's a good reason to not like him, then uh, you're not going to like this guy because he's very capable.
0: You know, Kevin. I think, as uh, you know, as a journalist, as a fan, as somebody who's been an enthusiast of this sport forever. I don't know if you share the same opinion as as I do, but the one thing I feel like I kind of need to see. In Vegas is is John just make some clean laps and and I think does this I don't know how far this goes away from the fan consciousness I I don't think it goes that far away from a driver's consciousness for a while but I think what I would really like to see is just that thing go down the racetrack straight and true a couple of times and and then kind of like sit back kind of late sit back in my seat rather than lean forward in my seat.
1: No I I I agree I think after you uh, have an incident like that. People are on edge for for a while, and you know. I mean, it's hard to argue with a single word that Tony just said. Right. Obviously, he knows. You know, when it comes to funny car racing, I, I'm going to stay in my lane, uh, literally and figuratively. You know, I'll defer to the expert. Um, but but yeah, to, to your point, I think it would probably do wonders for everyone for John, no, no matter whether he wins a round or not, to just go make three or four clean runs and. Get it to the finish line, and yeah, you know, I'm not going to say all this goes away because I don't believe that. But I don't believe it either. I think, yeah, but but I, at least maybe it turned down the temperature a bit.
0: Yeah, and and listen, it to me because it was the back to back runs that was the thing that kind of made your heart jump up into your throat a little bit, where it's like, oh man, you know, it's one thing where it happens, and and listen, as Tony said, we've seen it happen to a great many people. By the time we get to the end of the season, the list of center line violations and funny cars is sizable. But the back to back, the back to back nature of it was what I guess maybe made it even more intense as, as somebody was there watching it
2: yeah, Brian, and you know, Kevin, uh, I, you know one of the things that I mentioned when when that car hits the track, you know the tuner the tuner plays a role in all of this. Let's slow the car down, okay? They're trying to run too hard, and i've I've seen this happen with uh, with you know with rookie drivers. You know you have to you have to step them up, and you know we are talking about john force and and what he's been through, but we can clearly see that that there are some car control issues. You know, so so the flip side of that, John's not when that car spins the tires. Yeah, he can fix it. Get off the throttle. You have to be able to feel the car. You have to know where you're at, and you have to have a level of respect for the race car. But the other thing that the tuner can do is slow the car down. There's a lot of different ways you can slow the clutch application. It may not give you the, the the performance that you're looking for. It might be four or five hundredths of a second slower, but you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying anything that they haven't already discussed, but I, I think that would be a, a good start for that car to just go down the racetrack because it's when the car spins the tires and gets loose and they start to put cylinders on. Now, I'm not saying that, that the aerodynamics changed because it, it, it uh, some of the cylinders lost ignition. I didn't see that. Uh, when he crossed over into JR's, uh, that was just neglect and and failure to you know to get off the throttle and and that you know that's just a little scary and I'm sure I'm sure some of the other drivers are going to you know voice their opinion and um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see John hit the track in Vegas and go right down the track. I just you know I think they've got to go back to some of the basics and and focus on you know pulling the the some of the you know, the clutch application out
0: of it. And just to play devil's advocate before we move on to the next topic, you know, is that a lot easier said than done? Meaning physically it's easy to slow the car down, but in that pit area, even though, the, you know, the, they have a familiar relationship with with Daniel Hood and, and John, is that is that a conversation you can look John force in the eye and say, hey, man, we're going to pull this thing back a couple of hundreds. Hey, man, we're going to pull this thing back five hundreds. Is that a conversation even somebody that's related to the guy can have. And, and and is that almost in the same way that that Alex Laughlin has to answer to a to a Jim Dunn? You know, Daniel Hood ultimately still has to, to still has to, to to answer to John Force. So as much as we can sit here and say, hey man, just slow the car down, is it that easy?
2: Well the the difference is a big difference really uh yes. I <laughs> I mean yes everything you said about that, John has to be open is pre-chief and that whole team has to be open to that for yeah. his safety and the safety of who is in the other lane. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, Jay, Alex Lofton. I mean, that car put a cylinder out and of course, because that, that cylinder was not firing, that's what put the car over yeah. and he got off the throttle. I mean, it's, it's really the easiest fixed. I mean, I, yeah. I was watching with my mouth open when I saw that car fist tailing at, at half track. I mean that any other driver you're going to see them get off the throttle, and yeah. you know you just can't do it to one of these cars. So
0: it's always I the second move on those runs, and it was the second move on John's run too. That initial wiggle is one thing, but then when somebody stays in it and it makes that second move, and again, I, I'm only saying this as somebody who's never driven one, nor do I have any desire to, but somebody who's watched about a half a billion funny car runs in my life, it's that second move that the car makes, and if the driver's still on the <laughs> throttle, it it the, the movie always ends badly.
2: Yeah, and, and what we see, we see, we're we're watching from a distance, and you have no idea. I mean, the one thing that everyone will tell you, whether they're standing on the starting line, let alone sitting in the seat of, of a top fuel car or a nitro fighting car, the acceleration, and you would not believe how quickly that happens. But the second, the split second that you hear that engine revving up, you've got to respond to it. If you're in competition, your instincts, your instincts, if you're experienced, will tell you, how to get off the throttle. You're going to feather it. You're going to just blip it real quick. Uh, it depends. It depends on how the car revs up and where you're at the, on the racetrack. Um, but these are the things that a driver has to feel. And when that feel goes away, that's not a, not a good thing with, in, in these cars. It's just amazing, incredibly quick. And at that, I mean, we're talking close to 280 miles an hour that John's car is starting to spin the tires. That's pretty fast.
0: Yeah, it's, it's nasty. Let's move to the flip side of this conversation, which, of course, is J.R. Todd, who had, you know, it cannot be described any other way than a, a, a catastrophic weekend. You end up with two race cars that are in, you know, in serious need of serious repair. They have to upend any plans you had about staying out west. Um, You have this, what has been, I've been following on social media. John Kernan's been shooting video on it. Really a Herculean incredible effort here, Kevin, to get a car, what is basically going to be a backup car assembled, and then uh, Joe Fitzpatrick and Dan Murphy at Precision Built Race Cars front half the good car that they want to run in a handful of days, get that back up to Michigan. That car's been assembled. As much as we talk about team building, we talk about teams going fishing on the lake during the season. We talk about teams going playing basketball or bowling together. This, to me, is the ultimate ultimate team building exercise coming out of a catastrophe.
1: Yeah, and it's my understanding that that they actually sent two trucks back right? on Saturday night. The, the car that was crashed with John Forbes ended up on a flatbed. It went back to Michigan, and then on Sunday, after uh, you know they, they hurt the car in eliminations at that point they were forced just to load the whole rig up and go back. Um, and essentially repair two cars. So, you know, it's, obviously the the, the silver lining here is that nobody got hurt in any of these, but, but other than that, you just can't think of a worse situation where you're about 2000 miles from home and you have to do all this, you know, if if it happens at Indy or Norwalk or somewhere, it's probably not as much of a logistical nightmare. To, to get everything back up to Ypsilanti and get it fixed. But here you've got, you know, to, to send a whole crew back halfway across the country to do it. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a challenge. And, you know, obviously Nitro crews are known for, for having a work ethic, but uh, you're beating your guys up awful hard this early in
0: the season and as you know as much as we talk about wanting to see john force make some clean runs to to get going and kind of start to put this behind him i, I kind of look at the jr todd situation in the opposite vein as i want that thing to come out and and be as furious as it possibly can be i mean what what better storyline would there be for this team that was just quite literally wiped off the map uh a week and a half ago to be able to come back out here and, and start throwing punches right off the bat
2: yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons they were so disappointed, uh, yeah, you know, because they saw a noticeable difference in how they can how they can get that chassis to work, and however they the redesign, whatever they did differently, uh, and they were competitive. Yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> the first couple of races, I mean, they were right there in the thick of things. so you know when you have a car that any time you show up is is has got a pretty good chance of winning, and you you know you see it get wiped out in one shot i mean who's going to be happy and the work that lies ahead but you know it's like it's like training it's like working out when when if they can go to to vegas and i'm pretty sure that they'll probably pick up right where they left off because you know he made one of the quickest runs of that round yes a lot of cars were spinning the tires and you know they just like a walk in the park they ran a 93 before john collected them um You know, so I I think the payoff for them is going to be, you know, it's like after workout, your your bones hurt and your, you know, your hands hurt, you're, you're tired, all those late nights, but then you get what you want. And, and I think that is, that is, there is no better feeling than that. And, uh, you know, they haven't experienced it yet, but I'm sure that I'm sure they're going to. And look,
0: yeah, and I think Jr. at his best. I think Jr. races at his best when he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder, and I would say that he's got a a billet Hemi-sized chip on his shoulder coming into this race, and I think that, for me, you know, is is a place mentally where he likes to compete from, Kevin.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you could potentially argue Jr. always has a chip on his shoulder, Um, but (laughs) you know, in, in this instance. Yeah, it's, everything you just stated is a fact that that's a car that is, at least early indications, are significantly improved over last year. They have every expectation to win races, and they're probably very eager to get back in the fight and, and do just that. Um, and I, I mean, I'm looking, they're, they're seventh in points right now, 124 back. That's not... Um, You know, that's not too big
0: a mountain to climb. Especially in funny Uh, car. And that can change in a dime at Funny Car for sure.
1: Oh absolutely. And you know, and again, you have the wild card of two four wide races coming up where, you know, I think that tends to favor a better driver, but JR. Um you know, let's have this conversation again after Charlotte and you might see that car with a win and, and be in the top three.
0: You know, Tony, one last question. You you tend to hear, and you do hear, kind of all the inside scuttlebutt. Was there any talk of these guys even stopping somewhere for a day to test, or is there simply not enough time? Uh, you know, obviously we're making the show on Tuesday. If Charlotte, the teams have to be loading in the racetrack on Thursday. Was there any talk about trying to get somewhere, even indie or anywhere, for a day just to try to make runs on this new car? I haven't heard okay.
2: anything. You know, I, I was – in communication with Todd Smith, and and I've I've got to say that they've always been, it's and through thick and thin, and, I, and I'm a little reluctant, you know, to text them to communicate with them because I know they've got their hands full. Yeah, and I I wonder sometimes, ah, oh, do they really want to answer some questions about what happened and what made the car blow up? But I got to say that they've always been very very gracious, as most of the crew chiefs are, and you know even even at their. In their worst hour, I mean this guy yeah. responded was very specific, very detailed, and you know I kind of laid out after that but I, you know i wouldn't i wouldn 't think that it would be that critical okay. i mean if it 's the same chassis that they were comfortable with they 're going to assemble it, and you know if you go back fifteen twenty years i mean it was it was it was standard issue. As as we saw yeah. before a car made a full run, they'd make a checkout run. Well, you don't, you don't have to do that anymore. These, yeah. these teams have become so efficient and, and most of the parts and the equipment uh, they're very familiar with. It's just a matter of assembling. If they have the same management box on it, uh, if they can salvage it in a all the settings are, I don't think there's any reason that they would even go out and make a checkout pass. I think if they tell the driver, if it feels good, uh, run it, run it to the finish line. So really that's on the driver. The driver, if he feels anything quiver, that doesn't feel right. He's going to shut it off. If it feels good, he's going to shut it off in just under four seconds. What he wants.
0: Last point before we move to top fuel. Um, this was the first time we've seen a funny car body of the super variety, you know, have a really catastrophic failure underneath it uh, at speed. And and people were wondering why it looked the way it did. And that's because of the, the tethers that were installed inside that body. Um, I've not talked to Jr. about his personal opinion on it at this point, and I will this weekend. But um, what was your take on that? Because it, it was it – was, it was otherworldly looking, right? We're used to seeing that body fly off, and you just see a roadster chassis kind of going down the racetrack. But I mean, that was that was freakish looking when those pieces were still clinging to the chassis.
2: It was a massive explosion, explosion, and that I think that is the first time that we've seen the tethers yeah. at work at that at that rate of speed. I mean, we're talking 300 miles an hour. But if you really think about it, so so here are the two the the pros and cons. And and you do not want to launch the body. No. Okay? We want to keep our fans safe. So what happens? And I know some of the pushback from the drivers and some of the teams is, "Hey, we don't want this body on it. We're, yeah. we're going to get some of that debris on the driver. So we're going to put him in harm's way." Um, but you know, it's, there seems to be a trade-off. And. If I'm making the rules, I think it was a good decision. You'd never want to put the driver in harm's way, but the driver to some degree is protected by the shield, the titanium shield. I'm sure there was some debris that bounced off of it. But at that rate of speed, if there's some explosion, I I think a lot of the damage was done from the air. Of course, it's going to fracture and break the body in a few pieces, but uh, once the air caught it at that rate of speed, it just disintegrated. So it seemed like it worked as good as it's going to. And, you know, I just kind of fall back on the dangerous thing that
0: these guys do. That's a fact. Now let's move to the top fuel category. Uh, I want to start with three names, Kevin. I want you to tell me who's the first guy to have a breakout race between Antron Brown, Tony Schumacher and Josh Hart. Cause we're kind of waiting on it for all three of them this season.
1: I, I think Antron Brown, it should be unanimous. Um, th- that car is good. It was good at the end of last year. Uh, It's actually a little surprising they haven't done better because they've qualified for the most part. Well, um, you know, we've seen that car in in the 360s pretty regularly. Um, It's just a little bit of a loss to explain. Well, I mean, I guess you had the first round in Phoenix. Uh, Other than that, it hasn't been horrible. Didn't they go to the semis?
0: Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been horrible. It it has not been horrible by any means, but just as good as that thing was at the end of last year. And, you know, to me, it's almost, for Antron's case, it's that that kind of qualifying victimization that happens when you get in the middle of the field and you end up seeing Sean Langdon twice in three races. Uh, That's tough.
1: Well, sure. And and you're in a situation in top fuel that's very similar to pro stock where you have more good cars on tour than you have spots in the top ten for. Uh, It's actually a great spot to be in where, you know, you don't just get participation points, right? You know, just showing up is not enough to get you in the top 10. You've got to consistently win rounds. Now, again, we're only three of 21 races in, so I I don't think anyone on Antron's team is ready to push the panic button. Um, This is that one good race wouldn't cure. Um, But at the same time, you don't want to fall too far behind. Um, You know, being a hundred points back is not that big a deal having to climb over eight or nine guys to get there is a big deal so that's um, you know that's kind of what they're up against now I think
0: Tony should we um, should we include Milliken on that list of, of cars we should be waiting on a breakout race for
2: uh, yeah but I I wouldn't I wouldn't be waiting too long <laughs> you know it's if they're a good team you know I just right now we're, we're just dealing with with a handful of racers up uh, I don't. Was Steve Torrance on that list? Because I think Steve Torrance is is coming, and I think he's bringing some hell with him. That's just my thought, and I'm not saying that because I, I received a text from somebody on that team that appears to be very sensitive about some facts when we say that you know the competition, the level of competition is much tougher now than it was when Steve Torrance won his championships, and I looked it up. If Frodo wants to call me or text me, if he has a problem with it, then let's have this conversation, Brian. We can do it on your podcast. I just, for the life of me, cannot figure out why these guys get sensitive. I can't imagine the offensive coordinator of of the uh, the, the Dallas Cowboys calling Stephen A. Smith and saying, "Hey, you know that fact that you threw out there um, that hurt that hurt my feelings." You know, it's like these guys—they they, they want to be big time, but I just I don't get that part of it. But I think I, I actually ran into to Richard Hogan, another guy that is just very yep. uh, detailed when when we want to know something. When we ask them a question, there's no secret, uh, and I think they respect the fact that w- to some degree we're going to filter through what they tell us. Yeah, and we have to simplify it when we're on the show. But I, I, I mean, I've always respected uh, Richard Hogan. I mean, why wouldn't you? They've only won four championships. So I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that the competition today, when you go down to those last couple of races, we're not going to be talking about one team yep. or even two teams. Yep. Because in 2019, it might have been close, but but all those other years, we're talking about a 200 point spread and winning a championship.
0: Sweeping, so all like sweeping I said the countdown. Was, yeah.
2: yeah, the level of competition is much tougher, and and that was that was my that was my statement. Um, and I'll stand by it because we're going to be talking about several drivers, but you have a group of drivers and and we, we talk a lot about how quick they are and that's not everything. That is not the key to success in driving one of these cars like pro stock. There's a lot of things you have to do, right? Starting from the startup and the burnout. And I just, I think that Steve Torrance is one of those guys that we haven't seen the best of him. I think that he's a little out of sync. With his car, He has a tendency to do that. And I think, and I've seen drivers when they get in a groove. And right now, Justin Ashley is in one of those grooves. Yeah. And he is, uh, we haven't seen, we really haven't seen a guy like Justin Ashley since since Spencer Massey. In fact, I'm trying to dig up the average of a race. But there's a lot of races you have to go back to. But, you know, you, you go back to Kenny Bernstein, to Gary Ormsby. I mean, there were a few drivers that just stand out that were just as quick as you could be. And winning races because of it. Um, now, as impressive as Justin Ashley was this past weekend and the weekend before, this is the same team that fell off the edge of the earth at the end of last year. Yeah. So
0: in Vegas, question, in Vegas, really, Vegas was kind of their Waterloo when they came <laughs> off of Dallas and and lost in the first round. So I think those guys may be showing up to maybe uh, try to right a a wrong of their past.
2: They've been knocking down wins, running very impressively, from 370 to 372. It is so consistent. Mike Green is just, he's racing the car. It doesn't matter who they're racing. Justin's going to get out on him, and Mike Green gives him the car. But what is going to happen when a few cars that can run a 367, a 368, that changes. That just changes the way some of these tuners tune. And as much as they don't want to admit it, they look at those numbers, so they open a few flows up, or they'll sprinkle some weight on the clutch, or they'll put more fuel in it. They'll do something to try to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. And that's where that's where the problem lies ahead. Very impressive. I think Justin is going to continue to have his way with pretty much everybody that he races. I, in fact, I said that the first year that he started racing. You know, talent is talent. You're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna change that. He has a level of focus. He has a way about himself that that he's just quick. He's got the natural talent, I think he's got the acquired talent, but I think there are a couple of cars and drivers that that will be able to compete with him at some point, soon.
0: All right, Kevin, I'll pose a question. Do you want a do you want a car that runs 368 with a driver that goes 80 on the starting line or do you want a car that runs 372 with a driver that goes 40 on the starting line?
1: Oh, I uh, you know, mathematically you're, you're you're almost equal there. Um uh, you, you, you know, I want a driver that can go 40 on the starting line with a car that might occasionally go 368, um, and and that's quite honestly what it probably is going to take to win the championship this year. Um, you no, know, consistency is everything, but I, I think you know the technology is out there to get a car to go 360s. Obviously, most of the good crew chiefs can do it. Yeah, but how many drivers? can consistently be 40 or better. That, that to me, is a much smaller number. Um, you know, as, as Tony just said, you know, a couple of them to point to, Justin actually seems to have that knack. Uh, you know, there's one or two others. Sean Langdon is still, to me, an elite driver. Um, you know, a, a few others are a work in progress, and a couple of them, you know, are, are a couple hundreds back. And uh, as the competition gets tighter and tighter, th- that's hard to make up. Um, and one more thing to backtrack a little bit, you know, Sony's point about, uh, you know, some drivers and crew chiefs being overly sensitive uh, begs the question, do we really want, or can we really have a formula one style documentary that everybody seems to think is necessary to take the sport to the next
0: level? Well, you you, um, you can I, only have it. You can only have it. If these guys don't treat their race teams like the Kremlin, that's the only way you can have it and have it be good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to, I think there needs to be, Uh, at least on some teams, a fundamental shift in mentality of, look, we're going to peel back the curtain and you're going to see the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and for better or worse, we're going to roll with this. I mean, obviously not everything needs to be made public, but, um, I mean, if you watch the formula one documentary where, you know, they get in the middle of contract negotiations, sponsor things, stuff that in drag racing, nobody ever talks about, um, you know, even insiders, generally aren't privy to that kind of information so so you kind of have to ask yourself do we really want to go down that road you know do you really want to be in the lounge um when there's a a very frank exchange of views between you know driver and crew chief owner and crew chief
0: and look Uh, i think that i think you know we all we all talk about we all talk about the formula one series drive to survive but let's be honest the real progenitor of all these was hard knocks from the nfl and what is the episode that always gets the most buzz on Hard Knocks every year? It's the episode at the end of camp when they cut guys. And to your point, it, it, as much as people watch these shows for the good, they watch them for the bad and the ugly. Let's be really honest. The reason people love reality television at any oh, sure. level is because it is, it is an, an emotional train wreck or to some degree. And so, yes, people want to see the reality and dysfunction sometimes. I, I think that's a given, and I think your point's spot on.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, again, would it do wonders for the series? Probably. But I think before you do that, there needs to be heart to heart conversations so that everyone um, has a very clear understanding of what's coming.
0: Yeah. And ultimately, Tony, I think to Kevin's point, people respect seeing the inside of these teams and and would respect seeing the inside of these teams. And they would respect that honesty. They would respect that view in. And I think the one point that people inside the sport that may be very, if not against this idea, very afraid of it is that no one's going to judge you negatively for being honest or for being angry or for, for having mistakes. They will judge you if you do outlandish wacky things that, that are unacceptable socially, which I don't think we're talking about people doing, but the reality is for, for a series like that to survive, and to to thrive and get people's attention, it has to be a whole lot more than just a you know happy go lucky driver profile on Sundays.
2: Well, what they need to understand, and they being you know those that are sensitive or those that are critical, um, you know, TV is if if there's one thing that makes this sport successful, it's TV. Yeah, I mean it's that simple, and and it, it always will be because even during COVID, when you know when everything was shut down. Um, you know the 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 executive team in our sport. They said we're going to go
1: racing. Yeah.
2: There, weren't, there wasn't anyone in the stands, but we moved forward. This sport didn't didn't uh, get flushed down the toilet. It could have, but they salvaged it because we still we landed on TV. So I, I think what you know the re- reality is something that is very interesting. It's very compelling, and when these guys. Being, you know, car chiefs. Uh, I'm not going to say tuners because some of them, you know, are good at what they do and their job really isn't to talk. I mean, if they just give us a brief interview, that's good enough because their job is to make the car go quick. The driver's the one that should get out, talk about sponsors, not the car chief, not the, sometimes I think some of these tuners get a little confused. I say, let the driver spit out the the brand names and thank the sponsors, not the crew chief. We want to hear, how in the hell they made that car go down the track and how that little light bulb at the end of the track lit up in their lane. That's what I want to hear. So they really have to ask themselves, guys, do we want to be big time or just we want to be, we will just want to be a little blip on the map. I say big time every time. I'm your Huckleberry. I have to ask myself if, and and Glenn Cromwell, he asked me, uh, it was about a year ago. He said, Tony, how did, what did the, tuners really what are they what's your relationship with the racers is was the question and i thought about it for a second and i thought you know glenn sometimes i ask myself do i do i want to be liked or i just do i want to do my job i'd rather yeah. do my job I don't really, you know I, I care if my kids like me and that's that's a struggle um i care <laughs> that the, the close friends that i have right that I do care about. So I'm not going to lie and say I don't care about any of that, but I don't really care as long as I can back it up. And as long as I'm accurate. And I think that is really all that's ever been asked of me because I have to report to a few people. So my only concern is that, look, I think this sport is deserving of someone in my position like you, Brian, you don't pull any punches, right? We tell it like it is. And, and amazingly, surprisingly, no one has come up to us and said, Hey, you guys got to, you guys got to tone it down. I mean,
0: we had someone. <laughs> well, we have, the, we have, we have gotten a light paddle on the backside once or twice. Well, you have, yeah. But not <laughs>
2: <me>. <laughs> we just had, we had the director of competition, Ned. I, I mean, yeah. and he wasn't. He wanted to know where the woodshed. was. he wanted to take me behind the bar, yeah. but it was, it was in a joking manner. Yeah. And while I really should have gone about the, the. Um, You know some of the detail that we talked about on your podcast a a few a few weeks ago um, I learned a little bit but you know it's like we work for the same company and and no one said hey you did you said this this and this no I was just giving my opinion of what I knew at that point so so what did they do they put the director director of competition on the air to explain it and anyway I just you know I think there's something to be said about reality and 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 the authenticity and that's one of the reasons that you know we constantly hope that these drivers just just tell us what you're thinking some of them do i i like the fact in fact i love the fact that sean langdon is outspoken yes i I think it's great that J.R. todd is the way that he is um because it's it's real it's genuine i mean whether you like it or not i just want i just want the genuine article and i think People that are tuning into our shows, I think they would much prefer that. And when they hear a canned cam interview, it's a turn off, guys. Anyway, to answer your question, I I, um, I think that just just throwing some of it out there is is that's. I mean, we're a, we're a, a show that that races cars, and people get attached. They somehow gravitate to the driver, whether it's what they look like or how they walk or how they talk. There's got to be something about them. And even if it's the reserved, just kind of cool and composed, don't have a lot to say, then, then so be it. Some people are drawn to that. But they, they want to just see the real thing and I, I think that's what we try to give them
0: and Kevin you hear this when the three of us get together on these shows you, you hear it from people the reason that they tune in is because it's it's kind of real talk and I'm not sure there's a lot of places you're getting that um, in in this variety I think that uh, that's kind of what makes this this triplicate of the three of us together on these shows unique um, you know we we've heard it uh, we've heard it from other people and, and I know you've heard it as well but it is it, it is what I enjoy about what we do here is kind of taking this to the next level Level and taking the next step and, and talking about this stuff the way that I feel like it should be talked about, which is breaking it down like you break down any other pro sport.
1: Yeah, you, you do try to peel back some of the layers. And, you know, I, I just, as a sports fan, a couple of the things that I really love, and you're seeing more and more of it, is, you know, they're putting a mic on a Major League Baseball umpire, Yep. An NHL referee. And you're getting to hear some of those conversations between the players and the officials. Yeah. And, like you, for years, I've always wondered: like, a guy gets thrown out of a, a baseball game. What did he say to the umpire? What, what's that conversation like? And now you're getting a taste of that. Yeah. And I don't think NHRA fans are any different. No. They want to know what was the conversation like between the tech guys and the crew chief, between the starter and the crew chief, amongst you know internally amongst the crew. Um, you know, the more of that that we can do. I, I think this sport becomes more and more attractive to fans. And I think you look at where we are with attendance, with TV ratings, we are right on the edge of, I think, doing something special. You know, And, and I know we've been hearing that for years and years, but honestly and truly seems like we're really as close as we've ever been to being the mainstream sport we want to be. And, and I think that NHRA's management has done a good job of of growing the sport but also controlling the growth so that you don't don't bite off more than you can chew um and you know I, i know i read an article recently where glenn cromwell was quoted about looking forward to the next tv contract where it could be and hopefully will be a big game changer and i really think the whole sport needs to kind of take up the fight and look at what we can do to make that a reality and take us where we want to go.
0: Yeah, and and listen, to close this up, your point is spot on. Like Our fans are no different in a great way than any other sports fans. The one thing that is different about them and the one thing that I think we incrementally chip at at, uh, with this show, we incrementally chip at with the way we present the sport on television these days is – that it has been very guarded and it has been a very guarded environment where our fans to a degree have not been privy to some of the things they've not seen or heard some of the, I don't I'm not going to say warts. I don't know what you, they've not seen or heard some of the stuff, the, the, the deep reality they've been shielded from for a long time. And maybe some of that's on the sanctioning body. Maybe some of that's on the race teams. I think everybody shares a piece of it, but I do think we continue to incrementally move forward and, and, as much as we have friction sometimes, Tony, not between each other, but between us and sometimes the management, and sometimes uh, friction with the, some of the race teams or racers, I think that's growth. And I and I know that sometimes people get frustrated with us, and I, and I get it. But I think any time that you you kind of push that comfort zone a little. Uh, and a little more, it makes it better for us. And, and ultimately that's why I love, uh, love chatting with you guys when we, when we have these shows together. So fellas, as always, thank you so much for taking the time. And, uh, Tony, I don't think we'll be having our director of competition on the show this week, which I think is a good thing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Give it, give it a little, a uh, little time. Ned was very gracious. <laughs> he was to great. Do that. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot more to talk about, but you know, Kevin, you were talking about something earlier about staging, you know, lighting two lights, you ain't seen nothing yet. You talk about confusion. We're going to see it this weekend with the four-wide because it still blows me away. And, and not most of them. You know, we when you talk about the elite drivers that that are, you know, what, what I would consider pros. They eat it. They, they live this. They go to, to bed thinking about it. They wake up thinking about it. They're not going to have any problem. A lot of drivers, I think, that have an issue and, and have a tough time that that do not do their homework. They do not constantly think about every scenario that you mentioned they took Tanner Gray through. If you're not doing that, you're going to get chewed up and spit out on the starting line uh, this weekend. And then, of course, we're going to follow it up uh, with the Charlotte race. But it still amazes me that uh, it's going to play into the hands of the good drivers and I think uh, there's going to be a lot to see this weekend at 4-Wide.
0: Kevin, take us home.
1: Um, Tony just said it, you know, I think from this point here in the next month, we are focused on floor-wide. I know that there are still, to this day, some mixed feelings about it. I I think, you know, some people will never warm up to the concept. But the reality is, I think most of the drivers are cool with it. Uh, Both of these races tend to do pretty well attendance wise
0: this weekend's so is we, this weekend's in vegas i can tell you right now uh, from what i know of the pre-sale is going to be a banger is going to be an absolute friday to sunday banger
1: yeah so so we, we we know the fans dig it even if you're just a casual fan that only wants to check it out once or twice a year that's fine um but you know racing is it's you know own unique thing you know i know for years and years racers and people would say geez nhra try something different you do the same thing year <laughs> after year well you know, whatever 15 years ago, you finally got the four wide deal. And, um, you know, again, why, why anybody wouldn't be okay with it once or twice a year is a little bit of a, a mystery to me. Um, especially since there is that element. Uh, I, I think the four wide races put way more of the focus on the driver.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, one of the knocks on drag racing has always been the crew chief is far more important than the driver. Um, that's not necessarily the case when you get to these two events you you know as you pointed out you need to be crafty you need to be prepared for anything you're going to see some wild and crazy stuff guaranteed
0: the next two events so let's roll with it and there is the gospel according to tony and kevin we'll be right back with my final thoughts in this episode of the nhra insider don't go anywhere Alright, so back with my final thoughts on this episode of the NHRA Insider. We are coming up on the Las Vegas Four Wide Nationals this weekend. If you've not got your tickets now, I would recommend getting them. Uh, obviously, the first couple of races of the season we knocked it out of the park with attendance. Pomona was up over what it was last year, which was a great sign and continues to hopefully move forward, but Las Vegas will be an absolute rock star show this weekend, and the racetrack as well as uh, others are reporting that there is a huge amount of fan interest in the pre-sale of the tickets, which means we could be seeing one of the biggest drag strips on the tour uh, get blown out attendance wise always love to see that the four wide nationals will present a great show 19 funny cars 19 pro stock cars 15 top fuelers right now we may hopefully have a 16th drop in here midweek to fill out the field, it's going to be a great weekend no matter what. We've talked about the level of competition this year, absolutely off the charts. As always, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. We know we ruffle some feathers around here, but in my opinion, uh, it's why people listen, it's what makes the show compelling. And uh, we'll be back next week with some driver interviews, some crew chief interviews. We'll talk about the drivers and the crew chiefs that have succeeded and those that uh, maybe had a less than stellar weekend knockback of the race review but we'll also get into touch with the main players over this weekend coming up in Las Vegas. Charlotte 4 Wide Nationals are coming up after Vegas where we got a couple of weeks for that. We well, you can watch us on Friday night and we have two qualifying sh- we have Friday night qualifying show 9 30 eastern on friday and then we have qualifying shows throughout the weekend as well and an elimination show on sunday so three big shows coming for you to show how it all works its way out in the city that does not sleep the city of crazy fun the city of las vegas thanks for watching thanks for listening i'm brian loans and i'll see you again right here on the insider podcast next week